Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to Southside Church Online. I'm here with some of the Southside team. We're being very wise, and we're being very kind in light of the current situation in the world, social distance, hand-washing, but I asked them if they would be here this morning to kind of lend me some of their faith, that we would join our faith together. And so it's kind of interesting that I started out by saying, welcome to Southside Church Online, because in a way, you're welcoming us into your place. You're welcoming us into your kitchen, into your living room, into your dining room. And so in that sense, I would say, man, thanks for having me over. It's an honor. And we've been praying for you. We prayed for you before the service started, and I've been praying for you all week. Specifically, I've been praying that hope would rise and that peace would come down and that you would not only see victory, but bring victory in your life. So if you're new or newish to Southside Church, Maybe you've been wondering, what's Southside Church all about? And that's actually a pretty easy question for me to answer. Um, We're about more help, more hope, and more home. You say, well, wait a minute, Mike. I'm not so sure about that because times have changed. Absolutely times have changed. But our mission will never change. Our, Our methods will change, but our mission never changes. We're about more help, more hope, and more home. See, I believe that in our world today, Maybe especially today, there's a lot of helpless people out there. And I want you to think about that word for a second, helpless, devoid of help. And I think really to truly feel helpless, you need two things. You need need to be lost and you need to be alone. Lost is that sense that says, man, if the destination is over here, a life worth living, let's call it, there is no way for me to get there from here. That's lost. And And alone is this feeling that says, not only can I not get there, but there's no one who can bring me there. Helpless. And see, that's a problem. And so we decided a long time ago as a church, as a people, as a movement, as a mission, that we were going to alter that equation. And that's why we help. So we've talked over the last couple weeks about our help to the Chehalis Community School, but there's other ongoing initiatives that I'm not sure that you know about. One of them is the Sunshine Fund. The Sunshine Fund provides uh, boxes of, of gift cards and tangible and intangible encouragement and blessing to families that are walking through critical illness. In fact, just this week, we heard back from a family uh, in which is a, a young woman. And for the last year, they've been going from doctor to doctor, from facility to facility to try to understand this unnamed chronic illness that she's been walking through. And you can imagine how they're feeling right now in light of the fact that our health uh, care system is in jeopardy right now. And so we dropped off a sunshine box. and The family told us this week that when they opened it and saw everything in it, they had tears streaming down their face and they, and they felt like maybe we're not alone after all. That's it. Like this notion that says we can't fix everything but we are gonna do something because we want you to know that you're not alone. And if we can convince you that you're not alone because you're not, maybe you won't feel lost anymore and maybe we'll alter that equation called helpless, more help. There's another initiative or there's another partner that we work with all year round, the uh, Pregnancy Care Center. And this is a center that provides help to young moms who are dealing in really stressful pregnancy situations. And again, I'd like you to imagine for a second how that might be made worse in this current situation that we're living in. Imagine a, a mom who's already stressed out, already having trouble in her pregnancy and, 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 and nervous, and now looking at the state of the hospitals and wondering, how is this all going to go? It's a feeling of being helpless. 
And it's amazing, too, because about six weeks ago, before all of this happened, we got together as a group of people, and we absolutely stalked the pregnancy care center with, with food and, and necessities and, and high chairs. And now that this has happened, they got back to us uh, a couple weeks ago and said, there's a, there, there's a line of people driving through and picking up these things. And, and the whole point is we know we can't help everybody, but we want every one of those young moms to know we, we can help somebody and that somebody is you. And we wanted you to know you're actually not alone. More help, more hope. We live in a world that needs some hope. And we know this, hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the son of God and he stepped into human history on a rescue mission. He died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. He rose again so that we can, too. We can rise out of defeat and into victory. We're gonna keep telling that story. We're gonna keep preaching that message over and over and over again because it changes everything. More hope. And finally, more home. More home, more connection. And one of the things that I've said before is this, you can either live life or life can live you. You ever hear that before? You, you can either live life or life can live you. Well, I'll tell you what's kind of interesting in the world that we live in right now. If you allow life to live you right now, here's what will happen by its very nature. With all this social distancing and this, these wise things that we're doing, if you let life live you, we are all going to drift apart just a little bit. And that's a problem because we're better together. Like, we need each other. Can, can I be honest with you? Like, we really need each other. Like, for some, uh, lives depend on this. And so we have to choose to live our lives. We have to choose to be intentional, that even in this time of potential disconnection, that we would actually be connected. Leah said it last week, that even though we can't get together, we can be together. And how are we going to do that? Well, I want to remind you how we're doing that over, the, how we're doing that over this last few weeks. Like, lots of it on social media. So please do me a favor. Make sure you're following us on Instagram. Okay, so that's number one. Number, number two, get onto YouTube. Like and subscribe to Southside Church channel. Get on there and follow everything we're doing. And finally, one of the hubs that we've really found over the last little while is Facebook. Facebook is a place where we can really kind of dig in and build some community. So first of all, if you're not on Facebook, could you just get on it? You don't have to be friends with anyone you don't want to, okay? So just, just, just get on it and, 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 and then like Southside Church. And one step further than that, it's been so encouraging. There's a page we started a week ago. It's called Southside Groups. Man, over 400 people have liked that page, joined that page in just a week. And, 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 and that Southside Groups page is just all about making sure that there's not a single person who calls Southside Church home who's walking through this season of life alone. Because people need to be encouraged. For some, their life depends on it. People, people need to be prayed for. People, people need someone to talk to, and that's so important. So if you haven't done those things, man, I would love it if you could do that. That's who we are. More help. More hope. More home. And I just want to take a second also to say, and if you're, if you're one of the people who gives to Southside Church, thank you for making all of this possible. Thank you. Thank you for bringing more help. Thank you for bringing more hope. And thank you for bringing more hope home. And, and, and also, let me say that I'm so thankful and so grateful that I'm part of a community that we don't let life live us. We live life. And we're going to continue to bring more help, more hope, 
and more home. Let's pray, and then we'll start. Dear God, for every single person watching, for every boy, for every girl, for every man, for every woman, for every marriage, for every family, let hope rise. Let hope rise to us and through us. Father, I pray that peace would come down. That peace would come down to us and through us. Father, I pray for victory. I pray for victory to such a degree that not only would we see victory in our lives, but that we would bring victory to others, to other situations. That one day, when we look back at this season of life, that if we have to give one word that would define it, we would define it with the word victory against all odds. Victory. Father, we're in a a world of a pandemic right now. We pray for a miracle. We pray that you would stop it. We don't understand everything that's going on. You do, but we know that you could. So we're going to ask as your children, would you stop it? We pray for every scientist and every researcher working on a cure, working on a vaccine. Father, that you would give them incredible creativity and ingenuity as they work around the clock. We pray for all our leaders. We pray for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and all the world leaders. I pray that you would give them wisdom that you would give them insight, that you would give them courage, that you would surround them with good advisors. Father, we thank you for all the heroes, for the first responders, for the nurses and the doctors and the medical workers. Help us to be grateful. God, I pray for every boy and every girl, for every man and for every woman. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. Let peace come down. Against all odds, may we see victory. May we bring victory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start this sermon off with a picture. This picture is a picture of me. I'm five years old and I'm waiting for the school bus. I'm about to go to my first day of grade one. I don't remember everything about that day, but there are some things that I really do remember. I remember I was stoked. I was so excited. I, I was the oldest kid in the family. It was just me and my little sister. And I was going to be the big man on campus. School was going to be unreal. I don't remember wearing those plaid pants from that picture. But I actually do remember uh, the jacket with the bicycles on it. I love that jacket. I remember the Snoopy lunch kit. That Snoopy lunch kit was awesome. And I just remember being excited. I kind of thought school was going to be just so good. You know, like I was going to walk into school and there was just going to be a lineup of kids waiting to, to just be my friend. You know, hey, you want to hang out? Want to play Atari? You know, want to throw the football around? It was just going to be awesome. And, and we were going to learn how to draw and stuff like that. And I was going to be just great at it. We were going to learn how to read and I was going to be amazing at reading. We were going to learn how to write and I was going to be an amazing writer. You know, I was going to be every teacher's favorite, every teacher's pet. As a family, we lived out in central Alberta, out in the country, and there was a bus that picked all us country kids up and took us to a school in Red Deer called River Glen, grade one through grade 12. And I was so excited about the school bus. I didn't know exactly what the school bus was going to be like, but I guess if I would have had to describe it to you, I would have said a rolling party, you know? I had seen this Sesame Street episode once where all the kids on the bus sang a song. I think it was like the wheels on the bus go round and round. I thought, okay, let's do it. We'll just, it'll be a sing song all the way to school. So there I was, the five-year-old kid with the bicycle jacket and the Snoopy lunch kit, just stoked. And that lasted for about seven minutes. 
I was the second kid to get on the bus that day, and as, as the bus continued its route, more and more kids got on the bus. And for whatever reason, all the older kids on that particular school bus decided that they did not like the five-year-old kid with a bicycle jacket and the Snoopy lunch kit. And for the next years, uh, they picked on me. So I would get spit on and slapped and punched and mocked all the way to school and all the way home from school. And when I got to school, interestingly enough, uh, there was not a, a lineup of kids waiting to be my friend, and I was not the teacher's pet. In fact, very early in my school career, I found out that I was actually an ADHD kid who couldn't sit still, and so I became the opposite of a teacher's pet. In fact, I remember in grade four, the entire grade four class was looking forward to the end of the year field trip to Fort Calgary. That we were gonna be bused down to Calgary for a whole day. And a couple days before that field trip, I was pulled aside and they told me I wasn't gonna be going because I didn't deserve it. And because I would wreck it for all the other kids. And I still remember sitting there watching all the buses pull out with about 100 grade four students, just feeling totally, completely alone. And on the way home every day on the school bus, interestingly enough, no one sang the wheels on the bus go round and round. But I got picked on every day. And every single afternoon on the way home from school, I would have a migraine headache. And I just remember setting my head against the, the cool glass of the window with tears running down my cheeks, hoping that I could just become invisible. What's interesting about those days is looking back now, I never looked at all the older kids in the bus and said, what is wrong with them? Why would they pick on a five-year-old kid? What I really thought is what is wrong with, what is wrong with me? That I would be the kind of little boy that no one likes. And when I looked at what they were doing, I never really felt like a primary emotion of anger. I never really felt anger. I felt afraid and ashamed. And so as I grew up, the little five-year-old boy with the bicycle jacket and the Snoopy lunch kit and the broken heart followed me around as I grew up. And, 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 the, and the whisper of the voices of my past, you know? You're wrong. You're ashamed. You're afraid. You're wrong. You're afraid. You're ashamed. They, they followed me along every step of the way. I just really wanted to silence them, you know? And so when I became a teen, teenager into a young adult, man, I tried so hard to shut those voices up. I partied harder than anybody. I was more out of control than anyone that you would have known. If you would have looked at me back in those days, I think you probably would have looked at me and thought, that guy looks pretty tough, pretty cool, and pretty confident. And what's amazing about that is that's what you might have thought I looked like. What I felt like was a five-year-old little boy with a bicycle jacket and a Snoopy lunch kit and a broken heart. And I couldn't outrun him. I tried everything, man. I, I got in so many fights back then. Sometimes I would get beat up. Often I would beat up other people. And what's crazy about it is even as I was beating somebody up, my primary emotion was never anger. It was always afraid. And so things got increasingly out of control and my life changed finally in the middle of the night, in the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta. I was walking up the South Hill freezing cold and if you would have looked at me that night, you would have thought that I looked pretty cool, pretty tough, and pretty confident. But what I felt like walking up the South 
hill of red deer in the middle of the night was a five-year-old little boy with a bicycle jacket and a Snoopy lunch kit and a broken heart. And I just remember walking up the hill going, I can't do this anymore. I can't run any harder. I can't live like this. And, and Jesus called me. He said, you don't have to. And he saved me right there in the South Hill of Redger. See, when Jesus saves somebody, he forgives their sins, he secures their eternity, and he begins to lead them one next step at a time. And one of the first steps that Jesus gave me was to leave Red Deer and move to Langley to attend Trinity Western University. I thought about it this week. I, I thought, like, did my life depend on me leaving Red Deer and moving to Trinity Western University? And I think the answer to that is yes. I think it did. Now, I don't think I would have died if I would have stayed in Red Deer, although it would be true that my life wasn't becoming increasingly safe at that time and I wasn't making increasingly healthy choices. I don't think I would have died if I stayed in Red Deer. But here was the problem with me in Red Deer. There, there were certain patterns and certain places and certain people that kept leading me to the same destination. That destination was defeat every single time. And so my life depended on it, like the, the life that I was born to live, a, a life of hope and peace and victory depended on me leaving for a time. And so I moved from Red Deer in September and I started attending Trinity Western University. Man, I loved it. I loved it so much. I, I, I remember just walking around thinking, man, it's, it's me and God and that's enough and it's all good. And I was so happy because I, I knew that I had finally seen the last of that five-year-old little boy with a bicycle jacket and the Snoopy lunch kit and the broken heart. Man, when I, when I go to Trinity Western University to this day, when I walk on the grounds, I feel like for me it's holy ground. I just feel so grateful. I got stuck in a dorm with a bunch of amazing guys. Some of, some of them are still my friends to this day. On the second day I was there, uh, I met Corinne. And I had never met a girl like Corinne before. Beautiful inside and out. Man, we would just hang out and talk for hours and hours and hours. I had never felt as known as I felt when I was talking to Corinne. In fact, I think it was our first or second date. I looked at Corinne uh, one night and I said to her, you remind me of Grant King, which is sort of a weird thing to say, you know? Like Grant King was my best buddy in Red Deer and we would spend like every waking moment together from the time that we were little boys, basically in the until the time I left. And we were terrible influences on each other for the last few years. But he really knew me and I looked at Corinne and I said, you remind me of Grant King, which again was kind of weird, but sh she took it as a compliment, which convinced me again that I just wanted to spend the rest of my life getting to know her, and that's what I've done. But something weird happened. Just over three months after I started attending Trinity Western University, um, an unexpected visitor stepped onto the campus of Trinity Western University in Langley, and be before I tell you who that visitor was, I want to remind you of something. I was a Christian. I was a Christian. Jesus had forgiven my sins and secured my eternity. But what I would suggest to you, what I want to suggest to you is this, my life still hung in the balance. 
See, when you are a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for five days or for 50 years, your eternity is secure, your sins are forgiven, but your life actually still hangs in the balance. There, there's still that balance between defeat and victory. And you actually get to choose. I say that because just over three months after starting at Trinity, uh, guess who showed up on campus? A little five-year-old boy with a bicycle jacket and a Snoopy lunch kit and a broken heart. And he was me and I was him and he was back. And he looked around, he said, I've been here before. I've been here before, I don't, I don't like this. And so I started looking around and I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, everybody else who attends this school kind of belongs here, but I don't. Like everyone else who attends this school um, fits in here, but I don't. Like everyone else, how about this? Everyone else that attends here deserves to be here. They deserve to be here, but I'm not, I'm not the guy who deserves stuff like this. So I started thinking to myself, man, it's just a matter of time before Corinne calls me over and says, hey, I just, I just figured it out. You, you, you're the kid that wasn't allowed to go to the field trip in grade four. I can't date you anymore. Or, or, or that all my buddies in my dorm were gonna call me aside and go, oh, okay, wait a minute, wait, wait a second. So what were you doing before the middle of the night or the middle of January, in the middle of Red Deer, Alberta? What kind of laws did you break? How many people did you hurt? How off the rails were you? Oh, like, it, everyone makes mistakes, but that's a whole other level. So I couldn't believe it. I thought I had seen the last of him. But walking onto campus was a little five-year-old boy with a bicycle jacket and a Snoopy lunch kit and a broken heart. And he was me, and I was him, and he was back. So I grabbed a hockey bag, and I loaded all my clothes in it, put it in the trunk of my car, and I was gonna drive back to Red Deer. You say, Red Deer, why would you go back to Red Deer? I thought you already said that there was patterns and places and people that just kept leading you to defeat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But in that moment, what I decided was, uh, it, it would be better to just accept certain defeat then live your life thinking that you might actually be able to step into victory only to have those hopes dashed. I knew the way. I had driven that road dozens of times. Coca-Cola to Kamloops, Revelstoke, Banff, Calgary, home. I decided that my destiny was defeat. And I guess my question for you today as you watch this, uh, where are you at? How are you doing? Like I, I'm wondering if, if you can relate to that little five-year-old boy waiting for the school bus at five years old with a bicycle jacket and the Snoopy lunch kit. I don't know, like maybe you were walking into 2020 going, this is it, 2020, this is gonna be awesome. Man, I can't wait for 2020, it's gonna be so cool. How's 2020 working for you so far? Have you come to this conclusion, either consciously or subconsciously, that your destiny is defeat? Maybe it's in your marriage. Like you got married um, 
months ago, years ago, and when you first got married, it was like, man, this is going to be great. This is going to be all about victory. It's just me and you against the world, kiddo. But lately, you've been wondering, and it's so difficult, and it's so stressful right now. And you've been wondering, man, maybe my destiny is defeat. M- maybe you're in a process called recovery right now. In fact, I want to take a second, and I want to just welcome um, everyone at the Edgewood Treatment Center in Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. They've been watching uh, every week with us with Church Online, and I want to speak to you guys for a bit. How's recovery going? Because I think, in a sense, we're all in recovery, aren't we? This world is tough. But I wonder, when you started recovery, whether you thought to yourself, this is going to be awesome, free at last, free at last. I'm going to be free at last. But it's harder than you thought. And now you're at this point where you're wondering whether it's better just to jump back in the car and head back to Red Deer and accept certain defeat than to go on living your life thinking that Man, there might be a victory only to have it snatched away. Snatched away. So I'm, I'm in the car in the parking lot in Trinity Western University ready to drive back to Red Deer. And it's weird because my dad and I have talked about this a little bit and it turns out that right about the same time, my dad's in a semi-truck on the side of the road in Montana. And the whispers of the voices of his past came to call too. Memories of a, of a mean dad who never lifted him up and, and always tore him down every chance he got. And then looking back at life, thinking about regrets of things that he wished that he would have done differently. So he's sitting there parked on the side of the road in Montana and a voice starts to speak to him and that voice says, uh, you're broken beyond repair. There's no fixing you. There's no, there's, there's no way to undo what's been done. There's no way out. Well, actually, there is one way out. See, where he was parked, there was a snow-covered field that went as far as the eye could see, lit up by the moonlight. And that voice said, here's what you do. Get out of your truck and walk in the field and keep walking and walking and walking until you can't walk anymore and then lie down and quit because your destiny is defeat. See, I was in a car in the parking lot of Trinity Western University. My dad was in a semi-truck on the side of the road in Montana. Where are you? Like, like maybe you're a little bit like I was back in the day. People look at you from the outside and they go, man, look at that guy. Look at that woman. So cool and so tough and so confident and so successful. But inside, you've come to this conclusion that your destiny is actually defeat. You've lost hope. The truth is I've been there. No, let me go a step further. I still am there some days. And here's what I need you to know. This day, this moment, this is a big day for you. This is a big moment for you. Because I wanted to tell you that you have a friend in Jesus. And I want to tell you exactly what that means. See, John three sixteen says it this way, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. 
have what? Everlasting life, everlasting life. When does everlasting life start? It starts right here and right now. This is your day and this is your moment. John 3, 16 is powerful, but it's also personal. Listen to me, if you were the only one in history who needed to be rescued, Jesus would have stepped into human history for you. If you were the only one in history who needed to be forgiven, Jesus would have died for you. And if you were the only one in history who needed to rise, he would have rose again for you. Step out of defeat and into victory for you. You have a friend in Jesus, and he's with you, and he's for you. So my dad's sitting in a semi-truck on the side of the road of, in Montana, and it's interesting because Jesus talked a little bit about the battle that rages here below, the battle between defeat and victory. And Jesus said that, I, I, I have come that you might have life, everlasting life, but you have an enemy named the devil, and, and the devil only comes to steal and kill and destroy. So my dad's in this semi-truck, and, and Jesus showed up. And he opened my dad's eyes to realize that the enemy was there, and he was speaking lies and hatred and weakness and defeat. But that Jesus stood ready to speak truth and love and strength and victory. And so in the name of Jesus, my dad just spoke three simple words to the darkness. Leave me alone. And darkness was shattered and peace descended on that truck. And my dad closed his eyes in that moment and he slept for the first time a real sleep in months. And meanwhile, I'm in the parking lot of Trinity Western University and I've decided that defeat is my destiny. And I'm gonna go back to Red Deer. And there I am, and there's five-year-old little boy with his bicycle jacket and his Snoopy lunch kit and his broken heart, and he's me, and I'm him, and he's back. And then Jesus showed up. And what he spoke to me in the, in, in the next minutes is something that I'll probably be unpacking for the rest of my life, but basically it's this. That every tear that fell broke his heart. And every migraine headache hurt him too. And those moments, like the one where I was leaning on the dictionaries, looking out the window, watching all the grade fours drive by on their way to the field trip, and I felt completely and totally and utterly alone. Actually, I never was alone. That he was with me every step of the way. And I started thinking about all the regrets that I had, of all the mistakes that I had made, of all the brokenness that I had caused. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm, I'm such a mess. Like, I'm such a mess, and I'm leaning my head against the steering wheel. And, and Jesus, it was as if he looked at me and he said, you know what, man? <laughs> you, you are a mess. You're my mess. And defeat is not your destiny. Your birthright is victory. So today, right now, you need to stand up. And there was a band, the, or there was a song the band played a few minutes ago that talks about the fact that Jesus can take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good, and that's exactly what happened to me that night in the parking lot of Trinity Western University. 
all the tears and all the pain and, 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 and all the aloneness and all the regrets. He took all of those ashes and he turned them into beauty. And the beauty actually was all the more beautiful because it had been ashes. Like he took all the defeat and he turned it into victory. And the victory was so much sweeter because of the defeat that had come before it. See, it turns out he didn't cause any of that stuff, but he used it. And it all led me to that moment. And I believe that for you right now, this is your moment. He said, defeat is not your destiny. Your birthright is victory, so stand. All you need to do is stand, and so I did. I pulled the key out of my ignition, I stood up, and I went and I got my hockey bag out of the trunk, and I started walking back to the dorms in the parking lot, no one was around, and there was this verse that someone in my dorm had been quoting all week, and I found out later that it's actually Micah 7, verse 8, but I quoted it as a prayer. I said this, don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Actually, to be truthful, I used the MMV that night, the Mike Manis version, and it went more like this. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will expletive, expletive, expletive rise. It was awesome. And Jesus loved it. And I guess I got a question for you. How many times have you fallen? Here's what I know. Though you have fallen, you will rise. Your destiny isn't defeat. Your birthright is victory. You say, well, I'm, I'm such a mess. Yeah, I know, I know. You're his mess. And he brought you here to this moment, to this time and this place and this crossroads. Defeat is not your destiny, your birthright is victory, all you need to do is stand. See, we're in this series called Here Below and it's just talking about the battle that's raging, this battle uh, of defeat versus victory. And we've been looking at the second last book of the Bible, the book of Jude. It's amazing because Jude talks about the fact that we need to contend for the faith. We gotta contend for the faith. We gotta contend for the faith. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight, it's not easy, I know. But I want you to know something. Every tear you cried broke his heart. Every hurt hurt him. Every time you felt completely and totally alone, you never were. And everything, all the regrets even, led you to this moment. Your destiny is not defeat. Your birthright is victory. But today's the day you gotta stand. You gotta stand. One week from now, is Easter. And I gotta tell you, one of my favorite Easter passages comes out of Colossians 2. I don't know if anyone else sees it as an Easter passage, but it is. Listen to this. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Listen to the message paraphrase of the same passage. Think of it. Think of it. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants 
in the universe of their sham authority at the cross, listen, and marched them naked through the streets. All those voices, all those enemies, all the lies, all the hatred, all the weakness, all the defeat. Jesus put it all to shame when he died and he rose again. And he did it. Listen, 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 listen. If you were the only one in history who needed to be rescued, he would have come for you. If you were the only one in history who needed to be forgiven, he would have died for you. And yeah, he is going to heal you too. But it's step by step and it's moment by moment and it takes a while, but you got to stand. Because if you were the only one in history who needed to rise out of defeat and into victory, he would have rose again just for you. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't know how many times you've fallen, but I will say this in your behalf. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Everything you need, everything that you could ever need to stand up, you have through Jesus Christ and his resurrection, which is really, really good. Because you want to know something crazy? Every once in a while to this day, guess who shows up for a visit in my life? A little five-year-old boy with a bicycle jacket and a Snoopy lunch kit and a broken heart. And when I see him, I tell him, man, I love you. I love you. And I'm so proud of you that you didn't give up. But there is a savior and his name is Jesus. And because of him, because of him, we know that our destiny is not defeat. Our birthright is victory. And so we choose to stand. And so as I'm closing, I guess I want to ask you again, where are you at? Where are you at? Man, have you, have you come to a place in your life where maybe other people look at you and they just see confidence and cool and tough and successful, but inside the, the whispers of the voices of your past keep trying to convince you that your destiny is defeat? Can I tell you those are lies? Can I tell you those are lies? Your, your birthright is victory. And the first step of moving into the victory that you were created to live, the, the hope, the peace, and the victory that you were created to live and to bring to others starts with coming to Jesus. It's so powerful and it's so personal. You have everything that you could ever need to stand. So I guess I want to ask you right now, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, man, if you're, if you're in a, if you're in your kitchen, your bedroom, your living room, wherever you are, would you be willing right now, if today is your day, if this is your moment, would you be willing to stand? And I know maybe you're with some people you don't know as well and, and, and you don't feel super comfortable. Okay, well, could you metaphorically stand? Could you stand inside? But, but if you're able to, could you stand up right now? Because I, I want to pray for you. So let's do that right now. I'll pray out loud and you can just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, Today I choose to stand. I thank you so much that my destiny is not defeat, but that my birthright is victory. Today I step into it as I stand. Jesus, I pray that you would be my savior, that when you died on the cross, you died to forgive all my sins. I accept that forgiveness, thank you. 
And when you rose again, it means that I can too. I pray that hope would rise in me and through me, that peace would come down to me and through me, and that I would step into victory. Everything that you created in me, a victory that is won from the inside out. Thank you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, by the way, if you just prayed that, I am so stoked. I'm so happy. Best decision that you have ever made or will ever make. And we want to support you. We want to cheer you on. So here's what I need you to do right now. I need you to just text the word life. There's a bunch of places you can do it. You can do it right in the chat if you want. And by the way, by the way, everybody, I guarantee you that there's people around the world right now that have accepted Jesus. And so right now in the chat, uh, why, don't you, why don't you flash one of these? Why don't you let them know that they could stand for victory? So just text the word life in the chat. You can text it to uh, our, our number, 604-670-3040, or you can even go onto southsidelife.com website to the chat box at the very bottom right, hashtag Southside together, and just let us know. We're not, we don't want to stalk you, but we sure want to support you and cheer you on and help you in whatever way we can. The band's going to play.